Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Will you pray with me? Dwell with us and between us, O God. Remain with us as your word breathes life into our weary bones. Amen. This morning, our scripture comes from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is usually considered one long sermon by a preacher who is preaching to a very distant congregation. And so over and over again in this sermon, you hear the preacher offer encouragement for bridging the distance. And today is a day on our church calendar that is about distance. As we remember and mark our distance from the Protestant Reformation, Remembering that some 500 years ago, our spiritual ancestors literally distanced themselves from the Catholic Church. And that very act is why we are gathered together today, worshiping as Presbyterians. It's also the day where we remember the distance from those we love. As All Saints Day approaches, the church appropriately takes time to remember the people from this community who have died in the last year, acknowledging that even the hope and the promise of the resurrection doesn't cover up the distance felt between life and eternal life, the distance between us and those who have died. This is a preacher preaching to people who knew what it was like to be distanced from those they love. And the preacher himself knew the pains of distance too. It's an interesting thought because if you wanted to encourage people who were feeling the sting of distance, I wonder what message you would offer them. I wonder how you would start with words of encouragement. I think it's telling for us that this preacher goes straight for names. The scripture we're about to read is a lot of names. It doesn't have as many names as some other passages of scripture, but it is among the most dense when it comes to the various roll calls that we come across in scripture. So as we turn to the book of Hebrews, I invite you to listen to these words And hear what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. 
By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a preaching professor in Atlanta who was famous for saying to his students, remember, on any given Sunday, half your congregation at least almost didn't show up. So if you are among those who spent the morning negotiating with yourself about whether it was really worth it to show up, thank you for being here this morning. And whether or not you debated with yourself, I wonder why you are here this morning. Why did you show up? Why do you commit yourself to a community of faith at all, for that matter? Was there a moment for you when you decided after some searching that there was something compelling about the promises of the gospel that made you want to grasp them? Was there an event where you began to ask yourself if there was something more to life, something more than trying to keep up by having the fancy job and the right car and the right house and the right neighborhood? Was there a tragedy or a diagnosis diagnosis that made you ask questions about suffering and despair? Or was there a moment at all? Maybe faith was just something that happened to you, something you inherited because your parents had you baptized as an infant and and faithfully brought you to worship every Sunday, and somehow, without even realizing it, faith began to take root in your life until at some point, it wasn't on loan from your parents anymore. It had become fully your own. The preacher in Hebrews is likely preaching to this latter group of people. These are probably a group of second-generation Christians, which means that their faith has been inherited to some extent. 
because they weren't the first people to choose Christianity. This congregation of people had always had the generation before them who they could look up to. They'd always had an example of what it means to be Christian. Because their parents or grandparents, those first generation Christians, well, they had made a radical choice to become Christians. For all of them in that first generation, it was a definitive moment where they had to make a choice about what they believed was true, knowing that choosing Christianity would likely bring persecution. So you can imagine how a congregation of first-generation Christians depended on each other for encouragement. They were bonded over this really hard decision that they shared, but they decided that they were going to pour themselves into creating a beloved community of Christian faith. They were a congregation of ragtag believers who were clear that Jesus was the Messiah, and they held fast to that even when it didn't win them favor. But then, as things happened, the second generation came along, and they didn't really know any different because for them, that little church on the corner of town had always been there. They had always been able to count on a congregation being gathered on Sunday for worship They hadn't been part of that first crowd that took out second mortgages on their home to build a church because they were so compelled by the gospel and wanted a place to worship week after week. And so for the second generation of Christians, there wasn't necessarily a defining moment. It was more like the slow and steady faith. No earth-shattering revelations even though they did still experience persecution, because it still wasn't popular to be Christians when they came along. And so this is a a congregation that is trying to remember whether it's worth it. They're beginning to ask themselves questions of faith. Should we really commit ourselves to this? Is it worth it to tithe our incomes to keep this church open when the church seems to be the cause of most of the hardships we face? Is it worth it to continue trusting that Jesus is the Messiah or should we just throw in the towel? What happened for this congregation is that distanced, distance crept in They were distanced from the very people who had set an example of faith for them. They were distanced from the stories of their ancestors who risked everything in the name of grace. And they were distanced from the very preacher who was supposed to remind them of this grace. It looks different for us, but we know something about distance, whether we want to or not. None of us set out to learn how acutely the sting of separation could be felt, but the pandemic taught us all something about that distance as it piled up everywhere. Distance between parents and grandparents, distance between community members, distance between deaths, and then the ability to celebrate life at a memorial service, 
distance from this congregation of faith. For years, even the most mundane of our daily tasks were a reminder of distance as we were instructed to stand six feet apart. So whether we intended to or not, we gained an insight that sheds light on these words from Hebrews. Just like the Hebrews did, we know something about what it means to be distanced from others. And while I've always loved this text and the stories of our spiritual ancestors, I've come to understand this as more than a hall of fame for the heroes of our faith. I've come to believe that this list is the preacher's way of offering us a bold claim about how we are to live, especially when we feel the sting of distance. Because to be a Christian is to be a person of incarnational faith. The truest truths of God were revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The promises of faith are made manifest in our lives because of those who go before us and embody those promises. So, of course, in the wake of death, in the wake of separation, in the wake of centuries, past and seminal moments in our faith, distance from those we love and those we've only heard about through textbooks can easily be mistaken as distance from the very promises of our faith. And so this preacher offers a very practical solution for them and for us. When the promises of faith feel far off and hard to grasp, when questions creep in about whether this life of faith is worth it at all, when questions about whether staying committed to the church come up for you, it is so simple. It's as simple as looking up. Look up and remember all those people who have gone before us. Look up and remember that the promises of faith are never distant from us. Look up and remember that God chooses to make the good news of the gospel come alive through humans. To be a saint... It's not some designation of perfection, as it often gets confused to be. To be a saint is a responsibility. It is to know that we aren't called to be perfect, but we are called to be faithful. None of the names that we read in that Hebrew scripture were people with uncomplicated lives and legacies. But we didn't read their names because they were perfect. We read their names because they were faithful. And that's what we celebrate as we remember those who have gone before us. We remember the people who have put flesh on the promises of faith in our lives. When I look up and remember the people who put flesh on the good news of Jesus Christ, I see Adeline Oswalt, who by faith showed radical hospitality to me when I was much too young to appreciate it. 
pulling out her finest china for after-school tea parties with other church ladies. I look up and see Andrea, who by faith nurtured me through confirmation and beyond, showing me what it looks like to live in a way that makes a child know that she belongs to God. I look up and I see John, who by faith accompanied me and so many others with a wise and patient spirit on the journey to and through seminary. I look up and by faith see Anna, who always has news good enough to share with others. I look up and I see my grandfather, who by faith preached the promise of love for all people to a segregated South. I look up and I see the children who by faith bolt towards the communion table every time we have communion at our outdoor worship service because they just need to know if that special snack is for them too. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of William and Louise and June and Susan and Tom and Marguerite who by faith put flesh on the promises of God in my life. This stole is a testament to the people who have put flesh on the promises of God in my life. Many of your names are on this stole. For me, somehow the very act of looking up and remembering is enough to remind me of the boldest promises of our faith. And when I look up, the promises of the gospel, well, they don't seem so distant anymore. Because when I remember all those who have come before, I am reminded that new life and hospitality and repentance and joy were made manifest in the lives of those who went before me. So those promises can be trusted. We are people of an incarnational faith. God chose to reveal the best news in human form, and God still puts flesh on the promises of the gospel. For the Hebrews and for us, when the promises of faith seem far off or don't seem as compelling as they once did, all we have to do is look up and remember those who have gone before. In just a little bit, we will read the list of names of the spiritual heroes of this community who died in the last year. And as we read their names, what we're doing is giving thanks that through them, God put flesh on the promises of our faith. I wonder who you see when you look up. I wonder who has made the promises of the gospel real in your life. Roger Quillen. Palmer Ransdale, Susie Seal, Ben and Jean Young, Martha and Don Fox. Is it someone from this congregation who invited you to come back to worship after that first visit years ago? Was it Lucille Good who organized weeks worth of meals for you after the birth of a child? Or was it Ches Hudell who taught you how to swim? Or someone who showed you compassion when you needed it the most? A chaperone from a mission trip? 
Was it the little old lady from your home church who, without fail, always had some months-old butterscotch to dig out from the bottom of her purse and pass down the pew to a squirming child? Was it the person who taught you the words of Scripture, not because they were reciting them to you, but because they were living them so naturally and so joyfully as if there was no other way to live? Look up. Who do you see? As we look up and reclaim the promises of our faith made manifest in the lives of those who've gone before, I charge all of us to remember that someday, when it comes time to read the list of those who've died, our names will be read aloud. And the people sitting in this sanctuary when that day comes are tuned in to our live stream They just might, by faith, look up and see us. May it be so. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.